0: you are listening to the summit church garden city podcast our vision is to treasure christ above all else and live for more again for those of you that are visiting with us this morning welcome we're so excited that you chose to worship our risen lord with us this morning um i'm super excited about what god is already doing in our hearts um, but would you, I know you just sat down, but I do this for the last few weeks, so I kind of love this new tradition. Would you stand with me? I'd like to read God's word for today. And it's a lengthier passage, so um, I know the heart, the posture of the heart matters most, right? I think it's beautiful when, when even physically uh, we can align our posture with the heart Sometimes. Uh, so I, I love just giving the honor and respect to God's word, and that's why I asked you guys to stand. So we're going to read from John 20, uh, almost all the chapter, uh, 1 to 29, I believe. Uh, we should have it up on the screens, um, and this is what God, God's word says for us today. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone, that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb as she Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, you're so awesome. You're so good. What a celebration, Father. And we thank you we thank you for the death of Jesus Christ, covering our sin, uh, providing forgiveness for us. But thank you for the resurrection. Thank you, Lord God, that that's exactly what we're celebrating today. And we should on a daily basis, Father, and we thank you. This, is, this substantiates Christianity and our faith. The fact that Jesus, you rose the third day and you brought us to newness of life. Father, I ask that today we would understand, we would be reminded that we ought to live in light of the resurrection, in power and in victory. Would you help us, Lord God, have in our own lives evidence, the evidence of the resurrection. And I pray that if anyone here does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that you would grab a hold of their heart and save them, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. How many of us really believe that Jesus Christ was actually bodily raised from the dead? Okay. And I think most of us would say, I do. I was, I was right. <laughs> to which I would ask you, can you prove it? Can you prove it? I mean, because I, I, I hear a lot of great stories, you know, why is this one true? But can you prove it with your life, is the question. Is there evidence of the resurrection in your life? That kind of changes things, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit. See, it is impossible for us to say that we believe, that we really genuinely believe in the resurrection and not have any signs of the resurrection in our own lives, not have any signs of a transformed life. Because if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you believe in everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus said about himself. And let me just say, he, he made some pretty incredible claims, didn't he? What's important for us to remember is that we, when we talk about the Easter story, it's not just a story, it's not just a myth, it's not just a fable, it's not just this idea that we talk about on Easter, but the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, are actual events that took place in real places at a certain point in time in history. This is history that we're talking about that changes our lives. So, is there evidence of the resurrection in your own life? I'm not sure what you picture when thinking about Easter, Easter Sunday, the Easter story, but the tomb that Jesus was laid in, the tomb that, you know, he would raise from the dead in was a garden tomb. That's what the Bible says, a garden tomb. Did you know that? Look at what it says in John 19:41. It's just a chapter before the one that we just read now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. How cool. Now, there are two main locations, kind of a side note, that people think the actual tomb was in. And the first one is a, kind of the more traditional one, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and it's about uh, 385 AD. This is going way back. Many Catholics and Orthodox Christians hold to this being the place the actual place of the tomb. And of course, we know that, I got to throw this out there, Jerusalem was completely destroyed in 70 AD, right? So we, I believe that we lost a lot. I mean, you know, the actual place of the tomb is, you know, it could be kind of lost a little bit. A lot of locations really got messed up. But there's a second location and it surfaced much, much later in the 1800s. And, and while it's not the traditional location that we know, It's more accurate to the biblical description. The second location is simply called the Garden Tomb. How cool. And it's found outside the city walls. And it's actually near a rock face that looks from the distance like a skull. Does that remind you of of anything? And by the way, Golgotha, the place where Jesus was crucified, was called the place of the skull. And believe it or not, it's a garden of all places, a place of transformation, because that's what a garden is, right? But regardless of which one of the two locations uh, is the actual location, what's important for us to remember is that when we talk about, when we think about the Easter story, it's not, again, it's not just a story, not a fable. These are actual events that took place in real places at a real, at a certain point in time. These are events and truths that change our life or should change our life. And regardless of which one of these two locations is the right location, the location that I want us to focus on today, to have in mind today, it's not this beautiful ancient looking church from 385 AD and beautiful relics and, you know, that kind of make you, oh, let's just go visit and take some pictures and it's pretty, it's beautiful, all that sorts of stuff. The location that we should have in mind today and for the rest of our lives is this garden tomb that the Bible talks about. And this garden tomb is a place for transformation. And this is the place where Jesus' own dead body uh, was transformed and was brought back to life. It's this amazing miracle that changes absolutely everything. But it's also a place of transformation for you and for me. Listen to this. When we encounter the the resurrected Christ, it is impossible not to be changed. It is impossible not to be transformed. It's this reality that when we encounter the risen Christ, your life will inevitably be changed and transformed. So is there evidence of the resurrection in your own life? And so what I want to do as we look at the Easter story from John chapter twenty. I want to look at four different people who interacted with the resurrected Jesus and how they they experienced transformation in their own lives. And, And would you please be open? I know that maybe not all of you believe, really believe in the resurrection and in Jesus, but would you please be open to asking yourself this question? Where do you see yourself in the Easter story? Where do you see yourself in the Easter story? And what transformation does the Holy Spirit need to do in your life? Would you please be open to that? The first person that I want to mention is Joseph of Arimathea. Luke has touched on him a little bit uh, on Friday night. But this guy was a, this Joseph guy was a disciple uh, of Jesus. But secretly, the Bible says, we see this in John 19.38. He was a disciple, but secretly. Now, I'm not sure about you, but when I hear secret disciple, it's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Like, what? What what do you mean? (laughs) Are you the only one that can actually do that? Because that's impossible. By the way, we were never intended if we were to have a genuine faith in Jesus to keep it a secret. I guess Joseph did somehow. He loved Jesus. He loved his teachings, I'm sure. And yet he probably found himself torn. Maybe like you this morning And that's probably because he was a wealthy man And he would have lost a lot A lot was on the line Also he was a member of the Sanhedrin That—that's If that's the first time that you hear that term This is the Jewish ruling court That's a high position to have He had direct first hand access To hearing what the Jewish leaders thought about Jesus he knew they hated Jesus. He knew likely the plot to kill Jesus. He was there. And so he found himself in, the, in this place where he wanted to follow Jesus. And yet, there would be a great cost. A great cost. Maybe a cost to his reputation. Maybe a cost to his status. Perhaps a cost to a spot in this Jewish ruling court, Sanhedrin. And perhaps even a cost to his physical life. What if... They were going to do to to Joseph as they did to Jesus. What if? And yet on Good Friday, he sees Jesus brutally tortured, nailed to the cross. He sees Jesus dying on the cross. The Holy Spirit, I'm sure, is working in his heart. He didn't do anything to prevent all the Good Friday's horrible events. But maybe he could do something about it now. Maybe. And he thinks to himself, the tomb that I own... My very own place of burial is right where Jesus was crucified. It's close by. And he, he starts thinking to himself, where will the body go? What are they going to do with, with his body? And I'm assuming that he pulls every string that he has, every ounce of influence available to him to work his way up to Pilate, because that's what we read in, 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 in the Bible, in John 20, and say, please, would you, would you allow Jesus' body to lay in my own personal tomb? And Pilate, for whatever reason, grants him that request. He says, sure. Now, there were some stipulations, as we know. There was some rumor going around that this man, Jesus, claimed to resurrect from the dead after three days. And Pilate made sure there was a big, huge stone at the tomb. He made sure there was a Roman seal and the Roman guard. He made sure nobody was going to pull any funny business, right? And then Joseph And another man from the Sanhedrin named Nicodemus, and we have quite a bit about him in the Bible too, took the body, wrapped the body, put the appropriate burial spices on it. And by the way, there was an incredible cost to doing this. Did you know that? It wasn't only the cost of no longer now being a secret disciple, right? Like it's out now, it's out. But there was a physical cost as well. I mean, how much is an above-the-ground tomb worth? I did some research on a modern mausoleum, because that's what they call them, apparently. They go from, uh, I'm talking about the most basic of models, $35,000, to over a million dollars. And this Joseph guy is giving up Prime real estate just outside of Jerusalem, in a garden, a place of beauty, a place of transformation, and he says Jesus can have my place of burial. Actually, most commentators think that it was at least half a million dollars. Also, the spices that Nicodemus brings were seventy-five pounds. What do you can do with all those spices? They estimate that this was the amount of spices for burying a hundred people. And Nicodemus and Joseph pour that out on Jesus alone. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars of fine oils and spices. And the transformation that Joseph experiences is this he goes from secret to sold out for Jesus. He goes from secret to being sold out. He goes from being a secret disciple of Jesus. He loved Jesus privately. And then he goes from that to being sold out. I don't care anymore. I don't care what anyone says. I love Jesus and I want to make this public. Sold out. Maybe for you. Maybe you are in a place of a secret disciple of Jesus Christ. And while our faith was always meant to be personal. Well, that means that our parents, you know, I'm sure if you grew up in a Christian home, they've been praying for you, but that's not enough. you got to encounter Christ yourself, so you got to have a personal faith. So while our faith was always meant to be personal, it was never meant to be private. It was never meant to be private. And the transformation that God wants to do in your life today is to bring you from a place of secret to being sold out for Jesus Christ. Jesus offered his life on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, dying for your sins and my sins. What is he calling you to offer him today? He gave everything to save you. He gave everything to save me. And we need to always be reminded that salvation is absolutely free. Salvation is absolutely free. There isn't anything that comes even close to valuable enough in this world that could buy your way into the presence of God Almighty. That's why Jesus gave his life for us. He's the only sacrifice that could deal, that could take care of your sin and my sin, but it will cost you your old life. It will cost you your sinful way of living to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And by the way, why wouldn't you want to give that up anyways? It's been destroying your life anyways. And what you get in return is something more beautiful and more precious and more valuable and more satisfying than all the wealth in the whole wide world. So the transformation that God wants to do in your life today is to bring you from a place of secret, to a place of just sold out for Jesus, sold out. In the early hours of Easter Sunday morning, and we read about this, Mary Magdalene, along with a group of other women, were heading to the tomb to further pay their respect to Jesus, I'm assuming. And on the way there, there was an earthquake, and they knew something was going on. So they accelerated their pace, let's see what's going on. They arrived at the tomb and they found a stone rolled away. Uh Uh-oh, something's going on. And before Mary Magdalene could think, she knew she had to alert John and Peter and the rest of the disciples. And John is the next person that I want to focus on. In verse 4 in our chapter for today that we just read, John records, and this is pretty funny, in his own gospel that he writes, that he wrote, that him and Peter, when Mary Magdalene gives the news, gave the news, hey, they've taken the body, and I don't know what's going on, and something's going on. Both of them were running. That's what, that's what John writes. And John records in his own gospel that he beat Peter to the tomb. Weird flex, but Okay. <laughs> And so John gets to the tomb and he stands there, the Bible says, just staring at the empty tomb. And the Bible says that Peter shows up a few moments later. I'm assuming he was older and not, not in shape, whatever. And he kind of pushes past John and he barges in. Hey, where's, where is he? What's going on here? Where is he? So John is there, but it looks like he kind of froze for a few moments. And he sees the tomb is empty, but it's not completely empty. He sees the burial cloths. And you start thinking about this. What's, what's the logic behind this? What's, what's really going on here? What kind of a person in their right mind, first of all, would try to rob a body from a tomb that was guarded by Roman, the Roman guard with a huge Roman you know, stone and the, the seal and all that? And then what kind of a person in their right mind, let's say they get past the Roman soldiers and the, they, they, they you know, roll the stone and as they're grabbing the body, Who would unravel the decomposing body and leave the burial cloths there? And actually, the Bible says that the face cloth was nicely folded in a different place in the tomb. Who does that? And John looks at all of this. He takes it in. And the Bible records in verse 8. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. Now, what did he see? He didn't see the resurrected Christ just yet, but he saw the empty tomb. He saw and he believed, the Bible says, and the transformation that John experiences, he experiences going from panic to perceiving, from panic to perceiving. And he is in a place of panic. What just happened here? He's caught up in the moment, and I'm sure that that Mary Magdalene's panic kind of rubs off on him, and he gets there, and he just stands still because he doesn't know what to do, what to say. He's taking it all in, and by the way, no one has seen the resurrected Jesus at at this point, and John is the first believer in the resurrection because he says he saw and he believed because he's just standing still gazing at the empty tomb, and he says, I believe." Maybe you can relate to that feeling of panic. Can you? You're probably just glad that you showed up on time or a few minutes late, but you're here. You're glad the kids have shoes on their feet, even though they may not match. That's us. (laughs) Maybe for you, you've experienced panic and stress and anxiety and busyness and go, go, go every single day of your life. And this Easter... The transformation that God wants to do in your life, in your heart, is for you to stand next to John at the empty tomb and perceive. To slow down and perceive and then believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. I mean, do you realize the implications of this? Do you realize what the resurrection means for us in our lives, church? R. Ken Hughes says it like this, and I quote, a living Christ is an all-powerful Christ. A living Christ is a present Christ. A living Christ is a Christ who gives us life now. A living Christ is a Christ who gives us life in eternity. And a living Christ is a Christ who gives us victory. Do you realize what the resurrection means for us? It changes everything, church. It changes everything. He is risen just as he said he would. He is the son of God. He actually has the power to forgive our sins. He and to raise us up into a new life with him. The resurrection church substantiates every claim that he made. The resurrection validates every claim that he's ever made. And by the way, he made some bold claims. It really changes everything. And maybe friend for you, you've been so busy in the panic so busy in the distraction of your life that this easter you need to just you need to be still be still at the empty tomb and perceive and observe and identify and recognize and feel and sense and understand those are all the synonyms for perceive by the way so peter and john go away from that place peter may still have some questions what's really going on here but john believes and Mary is left there by herself outside the tomb, the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, this weeping that we read about. Uh, here is not just a single tear. It's, not, it's actually the same as we see in John 11, where the people are weeping at the, at the tomb of Lazarus, right, for his death. This is a wailing. <laughs> it's not a quiet, pretty kind of crying. It's an ugly kind of wailing, ugly kind of crying. And Mary, the Bible says, is there outside of the tomb and she is weeping. After John and, and, and Peter uh, leave, she approaches the tomb and she sees something else there. The Bible says that she sees two angels there. And she says, where have they taken him? They've taken my Savior. Where have they taken him? You can just imagine the cool angels, you know, just pointing to her without saying much. Mary, just just look behind you. And she turns around and she sees a man. It's Jesus. But she doesn't know it's him. Perhaps his appearance was veiled from her, in some way or maybe her eyes were still so full of tears from weeping she couldn't tell what's reality here isn't that the case with a lot of us we're so into our problems and we just don't know what's what's the promise of god what's fake what's not i mean even seeing him crucified and tortured just a couple of days right she probably thought that jesus could finally rest now he's you know it's it's stole, he's dead. No one's no one's you know offending him and and spitting on him. She probably thought to herself, man, the horror and the humiliation, the ridicule of the cross, at least he's finally dead now, right? He can rest in peace, but no, they've taken his body. The humiliation continues. What's going on? And so she finally turns to this man who she thinks is the gardener. I mean, it's a pretty good guess. They're in the garden, right? Pretty good guess, Mary. And she says, Where have they taken him? And this man says to her, One word, Mary. And one word is all she needs, apparently. Jesus in John chapter 11 says that his sheep hear his voice and they know him. And she heard his voice and she knows it's Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And she clings to him, the Bible says. She clings to him. And Jesus actually says, do not cling to me. Do not cling to me. And I think he says that for two reasons. He knows that he's only going to be around for 40 days and he will ascend into glory to sit at the right hand of the father. But the next thing he says is this. Jesus says, I have a job for you. Go tell the brothers. this is what verse 11 says, we just read this a few minutes ago. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he he had said these things to her. Isn't it interesting, church, and friends, and guests, and unconventional maybe, that the very first person to see the risen Christ is Mary Magdalene? A woman who Jesus cast seven demons out of. A woman who very likely was involved in prostitution or some other form of intense sexual immorality. And she is the first person, not only to see Jesus, but the first person to preach the gospel on Easter Sunday. And here's the message. I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. That's her message. Have you seen the Lord? Here's the transformation that took place in Mary Magdalene's life from anguish, from anguish to announcing. From anguish to announcing. From anguish, she is in this moment of sheer anguish, and she goes from that to announcing the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And maybe for you, and maybe for you, you are in a place of anguish. And maybe it's anguish over your own sin. You're just in a place of utter brokenness and sorrow because you've made some life-altering mistakes or maybe some heavy sinful things and maybe even intentionally living far away from God and you're carrying that weight with you and it feels like an insurmountable weight of sin and guilt and shame and you almost wonder, could God forgive me? Could he even forgive me for what I've done? I'm not sure if you know anything about demon possession. But you don't accidentally get possessed by seven demons, by the way. I mean, you've got to be mixed up in some really dark stuff. Mary Magdalene was a woman who sinned very much. But she was forgiven very much. And she loved very much. And she loved her. And God was going to use her to proclaim very much. The, the, the gospel message on Easter Sunday. How cool is that? And whoever you are, I just want to encourage you today. And I think, I don't think it's an accident that Mary, you know, that Mary is the first person to see the risen Christ. I want to, and I want to encourage you with that, that you are in the right place on Easter Sunday here at church, because God wants to do a transformation in your own life, in your own heart. And maybe you find yourself, in a place of anguish, but it's not necessarily anguish over your sin, but anguish for the world. You don't have to look too hard. Just glance at the world and what's going on, the depravity in it, the sickness in it. You look at the hatred and the violence. You look at the bitterness and unforgiveness. You look at the corruption and you find yourself this Easter, just heartbroken in a gut-wrenching place of anguish. We may have that in common, by the way. If that's you, I want to encourage you not to stay in that place of anguish. Sure, there's a place to weep with those who weep. There's a place to grieve with those who grieve. But it's Easter Sunday, church. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got a job to do. We need to go from a place of anguish, a place where we're just stuck at the cross without the hope and the reality of the, of the Re- resurrection Sunday, stuck on Good Friday and stuck with a brokenness without a hope. We need to recognize the power and the victory of the resurrection church. The resurrection is the reason we're even called the church Do you realize that. But then we've got something to announce. I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Have you seen the Lord? There are people who need to know that there's life available right now. There's people who need to know that there's eternal life in Christ available to them right now in Christ. There's still many more people out there that need to know that forgiveness of sin is available right now in Christ. There's still people out there that need to know that they can be reconciled with God. And they can be reconciled with one another in Christ. The gospel is the hope of the world. So if you've experienced resurrection life in your heart, Christian, you've got work to do. You've got work to do. Don't just stand outside the tomb. Get in there. Have a look. See the reality. Remind yourself of the reality of the resurrection, and then get busy. Go into the whole earth and proclaim the gospel to everyone. What does that mean? Go to the people in your sphere of influence, your family, your neighborhood, your workplace, and share this life-altering news with them. I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. There's another character that I want to mention. This takes, later, this takes place later on, on Easter. So Jesus shows up to the disciples, and they see him with their own eyes, except for Thomas, we don't know what Thomas was doing, and we got to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he was grieving privately, because some of us do that, and that's fine. Or out for, you know, picking up groceries, we're just not sure, but let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And Jesus shows up, and he wasn't there to see him, and Thomas says this in verse 25, after the disciples, like, hey, we've seen the Lord, ah, oh, you weren't here, how oh, about it's you know, and he says, unless I see." Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And maybe you find yourself in that same place too. And you find yourself on Easter Sunday with this heart posture, I will never believe. Yeah, I was invited to church this morning. Sure, I came. But I'm never going to believe. Never seen never. <sighs> Thomas missed Easter, but a week later, Jesus shows back up, and then Thomas saw the resurrected Christ with his own two eyes. And Jesus goes to Thomas, and instead of making him feel guilty, making him feel bad, he says, Here, is this real enough for you, Thomas? Put your finger in the holes in my hands. Put your hand in the hole on my side, uh, you know, where the spear pierced me. And this is what Thomas had to say in response to that in verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And by the way, that's you and me Jesus is talking about at the end here. That's you and me. He he knows that he's not going to, he's not going to, you know, physically appear to every human being for the rest of history. And maybe for you, the transformation that you need to go through today is the same transformation as Thomas from Doubting to fully devoted. From doubting to fully devoted. Now, Thomas earned a nickname that day, and we all know it. <laughs> we all know it, right? We call him Doubting Thomas, but perhaps we should call him Devoted Thomas. In fact, the statement that Thomas made is the strongest statement of anyone who saw the resurrected Christ, my Lord and my God. It's a 180 It's a 180 from, I could care, no, I will never believe one week later, my Lord and my God. And I just want to speak to you for a second, wherever you are, because I don't want to minimize the doubts that you may have. I don't want to minimize the hurt that you may have experienced from a church in the past or some Christian, right, that hurt you in the past. I don't want to minimize that. A Christian that burned you in the past, right? And yet the reality is that God does not expect us to have a blind faith. He doesn't. By the way, that's not why Jesus said even more blessed are those that do not see but believe. He's not saying, hey guys, even more blessed are those who blindly accept the resurrection. Just believe it. Just believe it. Because we may not have the opportunity that Thomas had to see him face to face and to touch him. And yet we have Thomas. And yet we have John. And yet we have Matthew. We have records of people who did see Jesus. One respected historian and New Testament scholar writes this, the empty tomb in appearances have a historical probability, which is so high as to be virtually certain, like the death of Augustus in AD 14, or the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. Did Jerusalem fall in AD 70? Did it? Of course it did. We see evidence of it today. We see evidence of it today. Did Jesus rise from the grave? Of course he did. The amount of evidence we are left with is absolutely incredible. So it's not blind faith. It's not. Because people will say, well, good for you that you believe, man. But I'm more of a logical. Me too. (laughs) Me too. And I was convinced of this reality of the resurrection too when I looked into it. Because it's so compelling. And I want to challenge you to do the same. And by the way, here's some reasons. Here's some proof of the resurrection. Just scratching the surface how about the empty tomb where's the body Pontius Pilate your seal was out front your guard was out front how about over 500 appearances that history talks about that Jesus made in the in that 40-day period from his resurrection to his ascension I don't know if you know anything about practical jokes it's almost impossible to get like a dozen people to collaborate on a story, let alone 500 people. Here's another one transformed disciples. The lives of the disciples and their radical transformation in their lives, an example would be Apostle Paul. I mean, this guy hated Christians with a passion. He even killed Christians and persecuted Christians. And now he's planting churches, discipling people, and he's fully surrendered to God in his work and calling. Why? Because he saw Jesus. He encountered the resurrected Jesus. Another proof would be 3,000 converts in one day. People who are Jews, you know, giving their lives to Jesus on the day of Pentecost. How do you explain that? (sighs) And then the billions, millions, let's just say, millions of Christians over the last few thousand years, we each have a story and a testimony and a way that we can say in our lives, I have seen the Lord. I've experienced Jesus in my actual life. I've experienced transformation. So it's not a blind faith. This is the furthest thing from a blind faith. And today might be the day for you. That you go from doubting to devoted. From doubting to devoted. And I pray that it is. And I want to invite you to respond to this incredible news of the gospel on Easter Sunday. To believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He is the son of God. He died for your sins and my sins on the cross. And he was raised back to life from the grave three days later. And the way we respond is we pray and we ask God to forgive our sins. And not only that, we pray that he would lead our lives for the rest of our life. But really, We also respond through baptism, this public confession of faith. We love it here at Summit, as we should. It's how Jesus instructed us to respond. And really what baptism is, it's this really powerful reenactment of Easter weekend. You realize that? It symbolizes a death going under the water, signifying dying in the likeness of Christ, being buried with him. You're no longer yours. You're no longer your old self, but a new creation now. And then being raised up out of the water in a new life with Christ. How beautiful. It ain't going to be perfect. But you're in Christ. And that makes all the difference in the world you're going to have a new hope like you've never had before. A joy and a peace that the world cannot give no matter how much money you have. And you have a hope for an eternity with him. Think about eternity as eternity. (laughs) And think about this life being maybe That compared to eternity. Would it be worth it to look into this? If really, if this life, this moment, if what we're talking about here today is true, wouldn't it be logical and the rest of the words that I can't think of right now worth it to really look into it and live this moment for God? Give it your best shot so that eternity is with him because we're, we're all going to live forever either in hell or in heaven. So I pray that you would respond today to this beautiful message of the gospel. Would you stand with me? Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.